We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode five hundred and fifty-one of the Pack a Day podcast. My name is Adrian, and I am a writer and editor for Packer Report. You can always follow me on Twitter at NFL. Today I have a very special guest who needs no introduction, but I'm going to intro him anyway. He is the co-founder of Cheesehead TV, one of the co-hosts of the insanely popular Packer Transplants, and one of the true greats in our industry. My guest today is Aaron Nagler. Aaron, when you have some of your top guests on, I know you call them legendary for coming on. You are legendary for coming on the Packer Day podcast today. I insanely appreciate it. How the heck are you doing? I'm doing well. You're insane. I can't believe you've done this 550 plus times. Corey and I struggle to do like 100. So 500 plus is is pretty damn impressive. See, here's the thing, Aaron, is I've done like 10 of them. And no, no, no. <laughs> you have marshaled the forces. I know you're not, you don't appear on every one of them, but this is very much your baby. So yes, it's, I, it's, I have to give you props. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it tremendously, and I have a tremendous group of people that, uh, are, you know, write the ship right along with me, so I appreciate all of them, but I appreciate you recognizing that as well. Uh, Aaron, I know uh, I've been excited to talk to you all week. I want to pick your brain so incredibly much, but we would be remiss not to open uh, with the incredibly tragic news today of Kobe Bryant's passing away as well as his daughter, uh, and it sounds like there were nine people as of last update uh, on the helicopter that crashed today. Um, 
this was something that uh, hit the entire sports world. It uh, affected, uh, you know, I'll, I'll bring it around to the, the Packers a little bit since this is a, a Packers podcast. Uh, today in the, in the Pro Bowl, uh, Devontae Adams caught the touchdown. Uh, he celebrated with a dunk in the end zone to, to kind of celebrate the life of, of Kobe Bryant and pay his respects, if you will. Um, Zadarius Smith had the, the sack and fumble in the Pro Bowl. Uh, him and his, his teammates uh, celebrated with kind of the, the classic Kobe Bryant fadeaway jump shot. So uh, there were a ton of uh, notes from Packers Twitter today, included David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, uh, and uh, Brett Favre amongst them. But uh, this was a major news story. It is a tragic news story, not only with the passing of Kobe Bryant, but obviously with everyone else that was on that, and including his daughter as well, which is just beyond heartbreaking. Um, I don't want to obviously dwell on this too much. I know that uh, people tune into a Packers-themed podcast to escape uh, some of the, the reality that is in this world and not to dwell on it. But uh, like I said, I think it would be remiss if we didn't at least touch base on it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't have a lot to add other than I know what he meant to so many people. Obviously, your heart goes out to the family. And, uh, you know, I was never a huge fan, but I know people are monster fans. And I understand what it means when someone that you admire, uh, look up to, etc., and touched your life in ways that you could never explain, I, I understand that feeling. So clearly it's very sad, and as you said, it affected a lot of people connected to the Packers, on the Packers. The guy was an absolute legend, a giant in, in not only the NBA, in, in basketball, but in sports in general, like you said. Um, just absolutely heartbreaking, and I, I mostly feel for his wife and his remaining children. Yeah, as, as the wife, the family, of course, you have kids, you have daughters, I have kids myself. That's that's just the, you know, every single time, every new update came out, it was just the, the absolute heartbreak of thinking how it was going to affect that family as a whole. Certainly one of the most popular people in the world, regardless of sports, uh, and his uh, loss will certainly be a huge miss uh, for the world as a whole. And uh, again, our hearts go out to everyone that was involved in that, and like you said, uh, the family of Kobe Bryant especially. Um Let's move on. I know there's no great way to transition past that, but this is, again, a Packers theme podcast. We want to focus on some of the things that are going on within the Packers world, and I do want to pick your brain. We are now one week removed from the, the Packers season. We have a little bit of time to digest a little bit more. Uh, of course, not only the Packers lost, but the season as a whole. Aaron, I really want to get your rear view mirror take on the season now that it's behind us. Have you had a little bit of time to you know, digest exactly what happened and what your kind of overall overarching thoughts are about the 13 and three or I guess 14 and four season the Packers had yeah I mean obviously it was a great ride and it's funny because with a new head coach and tons of kind of new talent influx of talent uh, on the roster it was very different the, the last few years with McCarthy things have kind of ground down and become uh, there was a malaise or what have whatever you want to call it but it was hard. It was, it was just hard to get through the seasons. And this year was just a breath of fresh air. And, and obviously, you'll go throughout this offseason. We'll look at – I haven't even done my year review yet. Like I always go down after the season and look at every game again. I haven't even begun to do that. And usually I do it like right away. But for whatever reason, I really wanted to kind of just marinate in what this season was, which was just a rebirth, really. And – to me, the ultimate takeaway is it's a great start. Did it end the way we wanted? Of course not. But I think, and looking back, thinking back to where we were prior to this season, just say even after you know the 
the one month to go in the season firing of Mike McCarthy, charting where just emotionally Packers fans were from that moment to now, it's been a complete rebirth. And I'd be remiss if I didn't give Mark Murphy a shout-out, right? Because yeah, absolutely. think about where all the questions, all the, uh, the, the column inches, if you will, uh, the, the pixels that were used up on questioning Mark Murphy's not only firing of Mark McCarthy, the timing of it, deciding to separate the GM and, and coach and have them both report to him, uh, and then making the selection after only having one in, interview of each candidate, etc. Every single thing that was questioned of Mark Murphy, you have to kind of look back at it and think, okay, the initial return now is not done. It's just one year. Lord knows early, early tenures can turn very quickly. But early returns suggest that Mark Murphy knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I think that's 100% correct. And there are a lot of things that you hit on there that I want to touch base on quickly. First of all, you know, going back to, to Mark Murphy and that hire of Matt LaFleur, I don't think it can be understated enough. That was a bold hire. You know, nobody else was interviewing Matt LaFleur, at least as I recall. I don't think anyone else was interviewing him for head coach. That kind of came out of nowhere. You had the Josh McDaniels in there. You had the, uh, you know, guys like Jim Caldwell. You had the Saints offensive guys. You had a lot of people in there that was very, you know, very respected uh, that they could have went with. And in hindsight, that was a not only a bold decision, but certainly, especially after looking at at all the rookie coaches from a season ago, uh, certainly Matt LaFleur is the leader in the clubhouse for uh, smartest coaching hire of last season so a lot of time to be played out and we'll see where that goes but that certainly was a bold hire and certainly right now looks like the correct one I'm with you I have not no done doubt. No my, uh, my season review quite yet. I have that coming up this week, so I'm I'm looking forward to doing that as well but one of the things that I look back at prior to the season is I was trying to predict, you know, kind of how Green Bay would maybe get off to a strong start. And I, I go back and I look at the first month of that schedule and how potentially daunting that I thought that was at the time, going to Chicago for your very first game as head coach, uh, coming off a, you know, a Chicago team that was coming off of a, a playoff performance and a team that was expected really to win the division, then a home game against Minnesota. And if you were to lose that, that initial game to the Bears, like most people were expecting, that home game against Minnesota becomes tremendously important. You have a Broncos team that I thought was going to be better under Vic Fangio and that kind of knows the Packers offense very, very well. And then a tough Eagles playoff team, uh, you know, at home as well. So that first month of the the season, I thought was going to be incredibly important. And I think if you would have asked me at the time or told me at the time that the Packers would either be one and three in the first month of the season or 13 and three by the end of the season, I probably would have (laughs) bet pretty heavily that they met that three loss mark at the first month of the season. uh, because of what was in front of them. So to go 13-3 and three overall, to make it one game before the Super Bowl, uh, I don't know how much more could possibly be expected. And the, the last thing I'll say is the, the big takeaway of all the, the comments from the end of the season from Matt LaFleur, or Brian Gutekunst, Aaron Rodgers, etc. I thought it, it maybe kind of flew under the radar a little bit, and or maybe I just missed it, but uh, Aaron Rodgers made some mention that this is the season that made football fun again for him. And I think you mentioned it kind of at your initial uh, you know review there, is that this was a breath of fresh air. It made it fun again. They were winning again, and kind of the rest along the way was, a, a little bit gravy, if you will. So th- those were kind of my initial initial takeaways from it. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, you talk about that first month of the season, and I remember last offseason when, when camp was kind of in full swing, you and I 
talked, we did podcasts, we did videos, what have you. And I remember talking to fans about, okay, the offense is undoubtedly going to be a work in progress. That was a, a recurring theme during camp. Uh, LaFleur and Rodgers both touched on that often. And fans were just beside themselves with, oh, well, you know, the, the, the defense can't possibly carry this team. And that's not to say that, you know, it did the entire season. That clearly was not the case. But this idea that these preconceived notions that people have coming into a season can so quickly be blown up, and I think the first two weeks kind of did that for a lot of Packers fans, it reminded me, and, you know, I fall into this just like anybody else, it reminded me that, you know, these guys who put together the team, Brian Gutekunst and his staff, and uh, Matt LaFleur and his staff, etc., they're they're on such a different level when it comes to being able to diagnose what's in front of them, being able to understand what they're watching, say, not only in the, the coaches' tape from the games, but or the preseason games even, but like from camp practices or practices in general, on a level that no one on the outside has any clue about. So it's like each and every year, there, it's not, it's, people say it's a cliche, but it's really not. Like you never know. You never know. Like you said, those first couple games could have gone the exact opposite way, and the entire feeling around the early part of the year is totally different. Who knows where things end up at the end of the year? Uh, it just kind of reaffirmed and, and, and confirmed to me how you have to, every year is new, every year is a blank slate, and you've got to, like, savor what you're in each and every season. Because, like I said, those last couple years with McCarthy, it had become rote. It become, we knew what to expect. And if we, even if we didn't le- reach the expected 10 and 6, 11 and 5, whatever, that was a ma- massive disappointment. But just the slog of, okay, I know exactly what to expect. I know exactly McCarthy's tendencies, etc. Now I've got a new coach. It shouldn't take a new coach to bring you somewhere uh, with an NFL team that is, oh, my gosh, it's brand new. Anything could happen. That's what I love about this game. That's what I love about this team. And that was absolutely kind of reinforced this season. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's 100% correct. And again, you even look at the 49ers as well. You know, they were coaching the Senior Bowl a season ago, and uh, they're, you know, on, on the path to potentially winning the Super Bowl this season. So things can change in an instant in the NFL. I think that's why everyone loves it so much. And that really brings a, a great point to transition. I know we've kind of touched base on the first season, and of course that uh, really uh, affects Matt LaFleur's first season as head coach as well. They kind of go hand in hand. Uh, but going back to that, that first start of the season, I thought one of the real victories of this season for this Packers franchise franchise was, you know, getting on the right track in the, the, the first quarter of the season, then picking up momentum, going 13-3, and three, going a game away from the conference championship, because if nothing else, this season to me accomplished that the players and Aaron Rodgers and this franchise has faith in Matt LaFleur and they have buy-in in Matt LaFleur. And what, wherever that may lead the Packers going forward, uh, whether that's to the promised land and the Super Bowl, whether that's to disappointment, we will, you know, only see going forward. But Matt Matt LaFleur has the ability to now implement what it is that he wants to implement because he has buy-in from the players in this franchise going into his second year as head coach, and that doesn't always happen. And we've seen coaches you know, lose the team by the end of their the first half of the season, much less the first season. To me, that is a major victory for this franchise in Matt LaFleur's first season. Yeah, I, I, I agree for the most part. I do wonder about the relationship between LaFleur and Rodgers in the sense that Obviously, they enjoy working together. There's no doubt about that. This overblown, like, relationship kind of dissection that we saw all summer, 
that was way overdone. And, you know, pro football talk made a cottage industry out of trying to make that into something. And I'm not suggesting anything around that vicinity. I will say, however, I, I did find it interesting that heading into both San Francisco games, uh, the Chargers game, whatever, games where if you looked at the opposing defense and it was very clear, just if you were completely devoid, removed from the game plan, like if you were any kind of relationship sense of being in the meeting rooms, what have you, it, it, became, it was pretty clear that those games needed to be run heavy games, especially the NFC Championship game after getting their ass kicked in Week 12. They just could not come out and design a game plan around Aaron Rodgers dropping back a number of times and trying to throw the ball over the yard. Yet sure. that is what happened. So I do wonder, is LaFleur able to, and maybe this is something that develops throughout their last these next couple of years, but is LaFleur able to say, Aaron, look, this can't be a game where you are the focal point of the offense. It has to be Aaron Jones, or it has to be someone else. Because there's no reason in my mind that I can think of where Matt LaFleur, Luke Getze, Nathaniel Hackett all sat down and said, you know what, we really need to let Aaron throw it 40 times in this game. Because that's what it looked like coming out of the gate in San Francisco last Sunday night. And to me, that is mind-boggling. So I am interested to see how that progresses going forward. Because don't forget the, the talk last summer of we're creating the Packers offense. Well, what does that mean? It was a, a, a mashup of everything that LaFleur had learned throughout his time, not only in the NFL, but just as a coach in general, with what Aaron Rodgers, quote-unquote, felt comfortable with and enjoyed and liked out of his time with Mike McCarthy. I would say most of the stuff that they brought in from Rodgers' time with McCarthy was the stuff that really made them look like they were stubbing their toe on offense. And when they stuck with the LaFleur, Shanahan, McVeigh stuff, they seemed to get into a rhythm. That is completely guesswork on my part. It is absolutely just observational, but that is my guess. And I agree with that that assessment, and I do think some of the LaFleur stuff worked a lot better than uh, some of the stuff that you saw carry over from kind of the McCarthy years. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that LaFleur spoke about in having that transition is he wants Rodgers to feel comfortable, but of course he needs to kind of be in charge of that offense as well. So I know there's some give and take there. And that kind of transitions to my next question, which was, you know, we saw a lot of great, and of course the, the record was really the, the proof in the pudding for the Packers this season, but this is a offensive-minded head coach with the highest paid player in football at quarterback, a tremendously talented running back in Aaron Jones, one of the best receivers in football in Devontae Adams, tremendous swing tackles, a fantastic center, the highest paid tight end in football. And the list goes on, a tremendously young, talented left guard, a guy they just paid a ton of money for in Billy Turner at right guard. They have a lot invested in this offense and at times, it didn't look like a, a lot of times, it didn't look like a high-powered offense. It would show flashes of it. Usually, we'd maybe get one half of it uh, that we would see it, but we didn't always see it. What, what does Matt LaFleur need to do in his second season? And, and maybe you've made mention of it future Aaron Jones more, uh, but what does he need to do to kind of take that next step with this offense? And, you know, I guess to kind of piggyback off of that, because we've seen, take Matt Nagy, for example, in Chicago, genius year one didn't look so great <laughs> right. year two. So things can, things can, you know, catch up with you really quick if you're not evolving. Well, and I think, obviously, the big difference there, obviously, is Trubisky. <laughs> Rodgers, <laughs> I don't think, you know. So I, I don't worry about that so much as far as a regression. I do think it's interesting that 
for all the talk we heard last summer of tempo, in and out of the huddle, etc., that never materialized. I mean, the sense of urgency. Not even I'm not even talking up tempo slash two minute drill, etc. Just no sense of urgency whatsoever on the offensive side of the ball. And to me, you know, Lafleur talked about it middle of the season. He talked about it again at the end of your press conference about okay, well, this off season, I think we're really going to get to the up tempo stuff. It's something that we really didn't do this year. I was like, how? Why did it take a whole year to kind of get that under your belt to 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 employ that, I, to me that was weird. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I guess I'm sure there's a reason um, to be solved by smarter heads than mine. But <laughs> you know that to me is such a could be such a potent art piece of the arsenal, especially with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. I, I just feel like that's that, that you're kind of fighting with one arm tied behind your back by not implementing it. And the second half is just kind of what I just talked about in regards to you got. They have to lean more into the Shanahan-McVay stuff. I mean, I think the perfect example of this offense and the dichotomy therein was in that Seattle playoff game where in the first half, where they featured uh, Irvin quite a bit as both as a motion guy and they gave him the ball a couple of times, etc. The The jet motion, the orbit motion, they were moving the ball up and down the field. You get to the second half, they literally come out in four wide, static, single back, Spread formation, quarterback and shotgun. It was McCarthy all over again, yeah. and they go three and out. They come out again. They barely move the ball. Like it just seems so obvious that the stuff that they brought in from from you know whatever wherever Lafleur drew his stuff up from and Hackett and Gessie, et etc. As opposed to the oh here's the spread stuff that Rogers is comfortable with from his time with Mike. Uh, that I'm not saying shoot it into the sun. But it needs to be utilized a whole hell of a lot less because the, the other stuff seemed to be a, a lot more effective. Could not agree more. However, the one thing I will say, they finally went uh, high-speed up-tempo on third and three against the 49ers, and that was an unmitigated disaster. Uh, right. and that's, yeah, so yeah, they obviously have a lot of work to do, not only implementing it more, but maybe doing a little bit better as well. Uh, but this was the, you know, kind of transitions into the topic that I really wanted to, to pick your brain on because I think it's a really interesting one. We saw... So much of the analytics uh, go into this season, and, and so many people, uh, there's the, the Ben Baldwins with the Aaron Rodgers analytics, there's uh, some of the, the DVOA where the, maybe the Packers weren't expected to be quite as good. You had uh, some of the point differential analytics come out where they were more of a 9-10 to 10 win team to the Packers were the most fraudulent 13-3 and three team on the planet, <laughs> and all of those sort of things that we saw kind of come out through the course of the year. And th- just this week, uh, the Ringers, uh, Riley McCady or McCaddy, I'm not exactly sure, wrote an article, uh, and the title is, and I quote, the Packers crushing NFC championship loss is a victory lap for NFL analytics. So uh, the Packers apparently lost in that NFC championship game to NFL analytics. But I do want to pick your brain here and see, is, is was there something to it all along where, you know, maybe the analytics were right and this team wasn't quite as good and it finally caught up to them and uh, they lost in the NFC Championship because of some of those deficiencies? Or is this just kind of, there's just smoke, there's really no fire to it, and uh, yeah, yeah, there's nothing to it. I'm curious your thoughts on this. <sighs> okay, i, I got to be careful here because I have, <laughs> set, I have set a lot of people with my rant on uh, against PFF and Ben Baldwin uh, on Transplants a couple weeks ago. So I'll just say this. 
of course there's something to analytics. I mean, to, to be dismissive of analytics is ridiculous because obviously – As a long-time, long-time, early-days reader of Football Outsiders, I I absolutely have buy-in on analytics. But this this idea that Ben Baldwin is crunching numbers in a spreadsheet and looking at Aaron Rodgers and then drawing up as his quote-unquote examples on film uh, plays that completely lack context and actually have nothing to do with why the plays are unsuccessful, but he's using them to try and paint Rodgers in a bad light and quote-unquote prove his uh, theories, no one needed to look at anything other than the defensive front for the 49ers and their defensive tendencies to know that the Packers needed to run the ball and get them out of that cover three shell. The Packers didn't do that. They played right into their hands, the 49ers' hands, again. That's not a victory for analytics. It's (laughs) a bad plan by LaFleur and Rodgers and whoever. But this idea that oh, well, the numbers told us X, Y, or Z. Anybody watching the 49ers front could have told you that. Where I draw, like, the line with analytics is when, and I understand you say analytics, people come to that word with whatever their experience is. So if you're an analytics devotee, you have a very different idea of what you're talking about as opposed to someone who's always hated analytics, says it's the dumbest stuff ever, and... Yeah, you tell them analytics are dumb. No, I'm not saying analytics are dumb. But why do you why why do you do that? Why do you watch the games? When Ben Baldwin tweets out the Minnesota Vikings are a better <laughs> team than the Packers, after the Packers have curb stomped them twice, the second time in their own building after turning the ball over three times in the first half, just shut up. What are you even doing here? What why are you watching football? What is the point if the results don't matter at all? I'm not saying that they're like, okay, yes, you play 10 times with another team, and oh, team A and team B play 10 times, if team B wins seven times, the other team wins three times, etc. Sure, absolutely. In a theoretical universe that doesn't exist, absolutely. <laughs> but you know what? We live here on Earth. As, as they said in Annie Hall, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, I have to go. I have an appointment on planet Earth. You know, on Earth, the Packers kicked the Vikings' ass twice. They're the better team. Now, might it be different next year? Absolutely. But this year, 2019, give me a break with the on paper. I don't – the Packers won twice. They're the better team. So that's where I get frustrated with. What I saw actually happen in this world physically in front of me doesn't matter. My analytics are more important. That's bullshit. Yeah, I'm with you there, and I think that, like you said, the frustrating part is it's one thing to to paint a picture with analytics and you show what your models are showing and say, here's what I think may happen going forward. Uh, To say that something is for sure going to happen or that, uh, you know, even once it's already happened, like you mentioned, and that was uh, that exact uh, tweet was something I was going to bring up as well, uh, that the the Vikings were better than the Packers, even though the Packers played them twice and the Packers won twice. Uh, I think that's where it gets to a level of ridiculousness. And there are, uh, you know, intangible elements to the game of football that are in play. Like you said, you know, a a team might be predicted to win 99 out of 100 times, but we watch because we want to see that 100th time show up sometimes, you know, so uh, I just think that there's so much at play there. And I do think analytics is, like you said, a part of the equation. And I I like to 
uh, view football with as many different lenses as I possibly can. I love reading the analytics stuff to see what they're saying. And I love you know reading the, the Ben Baldwins and the Dusty Evelys and all the great people who do so much tremendous film work, your analysis. I love hearing the, the people in the locker room and what the, the Packers are actually saying. I love seeing what actually happens on Sunday, just the, the, the general eye test. And when I put all of those pieces together, I feel like I'm a little bit more educated and can kind of know what's going on. Uh, but if you just try to use one of those pieces to tell the entire story, I think you're doomed before it starts. Um, and I think that's where it can somewhat get off-putting uh, in, in some of those situations is to say that the analytics is the be-all end. Well, uh, you know, a lot of people would make a lot of money in Vegas if you would just say, well, the team with the better DVOA this week is going to win. It, it just simply doesn't work this week, that, that way. Excuse me. But one thing I will say, and I think what happened here, and this is just totally conjecture on my point, with, with somebody like a, a Ben Baldwin is, I think he spent a ton of time, effort, and energy building this model, putting these analytics together. And for the most part, the, the you know, I'll use the quarterback one, for example, here. The top quarterbacks at the top of his list were the ones that were supposed to be there. And the, the bad quarterbacks at the bottom of his list were the ones that were supposed to be there. And then Aaron Rodgers was this kind of, uh, you know, one that maybe didn't seem to fit the model somewhere in the middle of the thread. And everyone's saying, well, Rodgers is the greatest quarterback back of all time, he can't be in the middle of the thread, so much so that he almost had to start defending himself, and then he started getting victories when Rodgers didn't play well, and then, he, like you said, he used plays out of context and tried to be film analytics guy, to, or film review guy, to, to back up his analytics, because he needed that victory to really prove that his model was correct, and I think that's where things went downhill a little bit, but uh, I'll let you speak on that, but I, I'm, I'm 100% with you, I, I think you can't tell the whole story with just the analytics. Well, that's, I think you just nailed it on Baldwin because that is a billion percent what happened. And look, like you said, analytics are a useful tool. They can be if utilized correctly. And I think John Harbaugh is a perfect example of that. That's a guy who takes that input, applies it to the team he is coaching, and tries to figure out what is advantageous for him in that moment and what he can ignore and or dismiss. He has stated very publicly Yes, I listen to my analytics guys. I listen to them in-game, and there are times I tell them to fuck off, and I tell <laughs> them I'm going with my gut. That's football because, as you just mentioned a little while ago, there are things that happen on a football field. There are pers- interpersonal relationships on each and every play between the, the offensive lineman, between the wide receiver and the tight end, between the relationship between the, the running back and the quarterback and pass protect. There are so many things that happen each and every down that will never, ever be able to be accounted for. Like I, Brian Balaga's famous rant about PFF giving him bad grades on plays where Aaron Rodgers has literally told him to get beaten inside so he can escape outside. Those are the things that analytics will never capture. And the people in the analytics community seem to want to completely dismiss that. And look, again, I think it's a very useful tool. But this idea that we're trying to like, they're not, they would say they're not, but they seem to be trying to suck all the humanity out of the game when the humanity is what makes it great. 100% is what makes football great. And as somebody who, uh, you know, goes out and, and grades all the different plays in all the games, I, you know, I've said this multiple times, my grades are not the be-all, end-all of what, you know, f- football is about or what's going to happen in the future. It's a best guess based off of what I see on the tape, and I enjoy doing it, and I think it adds value. And I've seen certain results, you know, happen in the future, or, you know, players that didn't grade well, you know, end up not being on the team. But it doesn't mean that, again, it's the be-all, end-all. And I think when people start believing that, you know, their specific model, 
battle is the the way, the truth, and the light. I, I think that's where it just starts getting a little bit cloudy. But we got a lot to cover. I want to pick your brain on a couple different things. Uh, first of all, Mike Patton returning, right move. <laughs> Oh, that's a 180. Um, yeah. I, not, transitions are not my thing, Aaron. You, no, you record you transition don't. much better. You're, you're all good. No, no, we just yell, and then we just <laughs> Um Right move. I, you know, I, I got to say, and I said this the day that the news broke, and, you know, I had my daily chat. Uh, I understand both sides. Emotionally, I was ready for the guy to be gone. Uh, but I get standing back, looking at the totality of the work and thinking, if you're Matt LaFleur, all right, it's my first year. I know they said they really thought highly of this guy. They wanted me to keep him around. I kept him around. Where I have, where I struggle is, A, he was handed a huge amount of capital, whether draft and or free agency, to improve his side of the ball. Now, that was a necessity because they didn't have a whole lot of talent over on that side. But then couple that with the inability. I don't know if it was a willingness, a lack of willingness, but an inability to adjust to what Kyle Shanahan was doing last Sunday night. That's a red flag to me. Now, all of that said, though, they were a top 10 scoring defense. Uh, they did a lot of things very well, uh, including taking the ball away and you know, defending the red zone, which is how you become a good scoring defense. And they did, and they did improve as the year goes on. And that's where my hope is the sense that clearly those first three weeks, they were gangbusters. And then things started to falling started falling apart. Mostly. I think you can draw that line to Raven green getting injured. I think that's through a lot of the sub package stuff that Petten likes uh, kind of out of whack. They had a lot of guys coming in and out, they poo-pooed. I asked both LaFleur and Petten about this, and they both poo-pooed it, but I still think this is there's something to this. The, the lack of communication really hurt them after Raven went out because that's when you started to see week after week, explosive play after explosive play. That's when things started really kind of getting dire. But then things improved. They, they coalesced. They, obviously, Savage was out for a bit, and then he came back. As the stretch happened down, down November and December, they seem to they seem to improve both in regards to not allowing so many explosive plays and they really fixed their run defense up until Sunday night. So you couple that together and I think, okay, I get keeping him around for one more year. And I also understand that he's, you know, with Blake Martinez as your inside linebacker, when you're paying, playing that much sub, I get you're, you're playing kind of at a deficit because Blake has far outplayed his draft status but no one would ever mistake him for a stud on the inside. All of that said, next year is put-up-or-shut-up time for Patton. There is zero question about that. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be a massive uh, season for Mike Patton and the defense upcoming. And I'm with you. I, you know, I'm not uh, opposed to having a strong take one one way or the other in any given situation. I did not have a strong take one way or the other on on Mike Patton coming back. The the gut reaction, like you said, following that San Francisco game was, like you said, emotional and one of being like, yeah, I'm I'm ready for something different. Because make no mistake, you know, Mike Patton, you know, got it handed to him in that specific game. Kyle Shanahan was two, three, four steps ahead the the vast majority of that game and. 
I know that they didn't have necessarily the, the defensive lineman next to, to Kenny Clark to, to slow down some of that running game, but there was not the adjustments that were needed either. So uh, that was my initial emotional reaction, but um, I did like some of the things. I thought he overachieved in 2018, even though the, the numbers weren't there. I thought with what I he agree. had. I yeah. very much agree. Yes. Um, I thought I think he was really kind of fighting with one hand tied behind his back. It was big bad. time. Big time. And I thought, to an extent, he maybe underachieved a little bit at, at times this season, but there were some of those uh, injury circumstances, the, the limitations of maybe a, a, you know, a Dean Lowry to an extent or a Tyler Lancaster, Blake Martinez in the middle of the defense. I'm hoping they shore that up a little bit, but uh, it's going to be really interesting. And like I said, I don't have, I don't have a, a great feel one or the other. I know the cynic would say that you know some of that, that stretch run uh, that looked really great was against the Dwayne Haskins and Trubisky's and Cousins. And that's... That's the caveat, right? Yeah, David Blau. You know, so when yeah, when uh, when the Carolina Panthers come in with their backup quarterback and throw the ball over the yard, you wonder. You do wonder. I totally get that. Yeah, there's concerns there, but I, I did see improvements, and and I do think there's some some strong things to build on, and it seems like the defensive players like playing for him. So I was more than willing to give it another year, but I I wouldn't have been upset either if they moved in a different direction. Um, speaking of kind of some of those deficiencies, uh, you know, Green Bay is obviously going to have this offseason to try to improve both internally with some of the younger players getting better, but potentially lo- take a look on the outside. Uh, I know you had mentioned in a tweet earlier that uh, maybe Nick Kajetkowski from the Bears could be somebody at inside linebacker. Uh, I'm curious as to what your biggest needs are for the Packers heading into this offseason. I mean, inside linebacker to me is A number one, and I know people have talked about wide receiver, etc., and clearly they will go and find offensive weapons this offseason. I don't think there's any question there. Uh, But to me, inside linebacker, because of the fact that it's not a deep class, at wide receiver for the draft, this is one of the deepest classes we've seen in the modern era, definitely the deepest in in a number of years. I think there will be plenty of opportunities there. To me, inside linebacker is A number one because, as we just saw Sunday night, if you don't have some kind of dynamic presence inside, and as John Madden has said throughout time and memoriam, you've got to be strong up the middle. They've got Kenny Clark. They've got a decent back end in, in Savage and Amos. I think Savage is only going to get better. Uh, but they have got a gaping hole in the middle of their defense, and they've got to fix that. I think, obviously, at wide receiver, they've got Devontae. Lazard came on. They need to keep adding pieces, but it's there's nowhere near the kind of complete l- – just gaping hole that there is at inside linebacker. Yeah, the middle of the defense is what I mentioned as well, and I focused a little bit more on getting some help to Kenny Clark. Uh, Maybe most importantly, because if Kenny Clark were to go down with an injury, I think they would be completely screwed up the middle of that defense. But at the same token, assuming Blake Martinez isn't back right now, you're going with Oren Burks and Raven Green uh, in the inside, and that's certainly not enough. I don't know that Ty Summers and and some of those guys are ready to take that next step. So uh, I think that they're going to have to obviously reload at that position if Blake Martinez isn't back. Even if he is back, I still think they need an athlete playmaker next to him because I haven't seen enough from Oren Burks yet to think that he has the ability to make that jump. So, Oh, they, man. If he was going to make that jump, it would have happened this year. I think I, I'm sorry. I think he's a, a really good special teams player, but man, you're, you're using a premium day two pick on a special teams player? I don't think so. They, that's, what I, that's what I mean when I talk about they have got to fix that. They, that hole is it, predominant. Uh, I, don't, I don't see Burks stepping up in any way, shape, or form next year. I'm 100% with you. I want let, to let's go kind of lightning round the rest of the way. I'll say a name and, and you let me know if they're going to be on the roster to start next season. You ready? 
No, I'm ready. All right, Brian Belaga. Not on the roster. Wow. All right, I'm going to have to pick your brain on that one I, in a second. I, I just can't believe they're going to pay him. That, that, that could very well be true. Mason Crosby. On the roster. All right, Jimmy Graham. Not on the roster. Lane Taylor. Not on the roster. Blake Martinez. Not on the roster. Jay Kumaro. Not on the roster. Geronimo Allison. Not on the roster. Marquez Valdez-Scantling. On the roster. All right, Kyler Fackrell. Not on the roster. Mercedes Lewis. On the roster. Tremont Williams. Not on the roster. And the most important one, Tim Boyle. <laughs> uh, probably on the roster? I think he's on the roster. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what they, we'll see what they do at quarterback in the test. Uh, so I, but I'm going to go with on the roster. All right, perfect. That's the right answer. I appreciate that. Uh, I do want to pick your brain a little bit. I know you mentioned maybe the the salary, but Brian Bulaga, you think you legitimately think, or at least you're you know hypothesizing at this point, not on the roster, huh? I mean, okay. I thought Pete Doherty had a really good column at PackersNews.com, looking at you know the decision they made to let T.J. Lang walk. Clearly, T.J. played another year, year and a half. His body finally gave out, although he did retire because of concussions. They were still other nagging injuries going on. Nobody watching the Packers over the last few years or last decade is unfamiliar with the idea that Bulaga is a bit of, you know, Darth Vader at this point. He's more machine now than man, you know. (laughs) He is put together by duct tape. And it is always, always better to let go of a guy a year too early than a year too late. I also can't remember the last time they paid an offensive lineman or, you know, kind of pretty much anybody a third contract in Green Bay. Uh, there's zero question that Brian absolutely stepped up to the plate this year, started all 16 games, was available for for way more snaps than he probably ever has been, at least for years on end. It's just, if you've got Valdir in your back pocket, I know he's set to be a free agent, but if you can get him on a one-year deal and then draft somebody, I'd much rather go that route than pay Whatever, because look, that's the other thing. This is a two-way street. Balaga knows if he does hit the market, he is going to get PAID paid. Some team is going to pay him a ridiculous amount of money to come be their right tackle. There is just not that many great right tackles out there, and he is a great right tackle when he's on the field. The Packers just can't afford with everything lining up. I mean, A number one being got to pay Kenny Clark. But everything after that, I just can't imagine them handing out a significant amount of cap space to Brian Belaga. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, Aaron, but according to my my timeline, everyone that's a free agent is going to take a hometown discount this that's season. What, that's what I've heard, yes. Yeah, so my, it, it my, should my work Twitter feed seems to agree with yours, yes. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens, but I think that is going to be the, the main interesting one to take a look at. All right, last couple thoughts. Uh, any Super Bowl prediction uh, coming up for next Sunday? Uh I want, you know, I don't know, I don't know who's going to win, but I know who I want to win, and that's the Chiefs. I really want Andy Reid to get a Super Bowl ring. Be awesome. I think he's one of the best coaches we've seen in the modern era. I think he he has been done a great disservice because of, you know, some of it his his own making the the time management stuff, etc. Some of it is because you know he had a quarterback that threw up in the Super Bowl, etc. Whatever, but. He is one of the best coaches we've seen, and I really want him to get a ring. And that's not to discount what the 49ers have done. I think Kyle is a great coach. I think they have a, they have put together a tremendous squad, although 
drafting in the top 10 number of years in a row absolutely helps in that regard. But there is zero doubt that it's going to be a great game. I just think I really want Andy Reid to get a Super Bowl ring. And I think when it comes down to it, I don't think the Chiefs are going to be the doormat that the Packers were in the running game. I think Garoppolo is going to have to make some plays. And if we're talking, okay, you've got two quarterbacks that have to make plays between Mahomes and Garoppolo, give me Mahomes. Yeah, it's one of the most exciting, uh, you know, non-Packers Super Bowls that I, that I'm looking forward to in a long time. I just think it's you have this video game offense with the Chiefs against this all-around team of the 49ers, and I think it's going to be a really fun, well-coached game. And uh, you know, even if the 49ers were to get a big lead, you know, the the Chiefs. I was just going to say, remember yeah. like that feeling on Sunday night when it's 17 nothing, even 24 nothing, and you're like, oh, dear, not safe. Gosh. Like not well, no, but like with the Packers, I'm thinking. Ugh, you know they haven't. You know they haven't shown anything this year that's going to make me think. Yeah, they're going to score thirty unanswered points. Right. No. With exactly. Chiefs. I had a buddy who's uh, I used to work with the BR a long time ago, Cam, who who messaged me during the first quarter of the Texans playoff game. The Chiefs were down big early in the first quarter. He's like, Aaron, I need to hear a lot of ball game left. And I said, Dude, you guys sneeze and put up twenty one points. Like right. this is nothing. It's like with the Chiefs. Yes, no lead is safe. I, that, with the Packers, it was very different this year. But, yeah, with Mahomes, Andy Reid, all the track stars they have on offense, even if the 49ers get out to a big lead early, you know it's still a ball game. Yeah, it is going to be, and I think that's why it's so exciting. And I'm going to go with 49ers, but uh, we'll see what happens. I think either team can win it pretty easy. Well, not easily, but I think either team could win it and it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, we're going to have to have uh, another podcast where I can uh, – uh, pick your brain on on Rise of Skywalker versus Last Jedi because oh I have, here we go I have a lot of uh, thoughts on that but uh, I think we're probably uh, out of time here a little bit I do want to pump up uh, final transplants of the season tomorrow you and Corey 4 p.m. Lambo time 5 p.m. Eastern time uh, what do you got on docket for uh, for you and Corey tomorrow Yeah Monday night we'll be uh, recapping the year looking ahead uh, pretty much just giving thanks for uh, a great season uh, really kind of exulting in the idea that this is just the beginning. Matt LaFleur seems to be the right man for the job. Uh, at least an overcat, you know, an overview of the year and uh, maybe a surprise or two. We'll see. But transplants, 5 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Lambeau, Packers, it's all, it's all there. That's what, that's what we do. I cannot wait. And from uh, somebody who's uh, had a surprise this year of, you know, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers on transplants, you know, if there's going to be... Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Well, we'll uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll see what uh, happens. Uh, and I should clarify, I said tomorrow, but obviously as people are listening to this, uh, it's going to be on Monday. So that'll be today. You know, hopefully you're listening to this on Monday morning. Make sure to check it out. It's going to be on Monday, January 27th, the final transplants of the season. Again, with Corey and Aaron, 4 p.m. Lambo time, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Aaron, thank you so incredibly much. Any other final thoughts or anything you'd like to plug on the way out? No, that's it. I mean, I can't thank you enough for, A, inviting me on, and, B, keeping Pack-A-Day going. This is incredible. The idea that you have done uh, yeoman's work, but being the shepherd, so to speak, uh, <laughs> of a Packers podcast that literally produces content every day is pretty damn amazing. Kudos to you. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, my mantra is to surround myself with as many smart people as possible so it makes me look better and I'm succeeding so far. Uh, so I will give myself kudos for that. Uh, for those who are listening, do me a favor. If you are able to, go to patreon.com slash cheeseheadtv and support Cheesehead TV. Um, if you are able to, go to Twitter, search for the Packaday Podcast, and there you can find a link to support the Packaday Podcast and support all those great people who are doing tremendous work. I would also be remiss not to mention that uh, Packer Report is running a huge 60% off special right now, a yearly special, so make sure to check that out as well. If you cannot support financially, cool, no issues, no worries. I appreciate you nonetheless. Give us a like, tell a friend, write a positive review. All of that helps us out tremendously, so if you have a chance, go out and do that. I'd appreciate it greatly. Aaron, I can't tell you how much I appreciate and respect the work that you do. Thanks so much for your time today. To our listeners, make sure to check back tomorrow for Jake and Ross as they begin a brand new series here on the Packaday Podcast. But until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.